Okay, wait, I don't have any good jokes for my opening. Do you have anything? Um. Or I could say, hi, I'm Jackson McMurray, like a human, and you could say something funny instead. Yeah. Um, hold on. I've got, I've got, I've got an idea, and it's being born, and I have to work on it. You're gonna act like you're being born when I say hello, my No, <laughs> no, it's, my, the idea, the idea is crowning. Hold on. <laughs> this is a disgusting metaphor, and I don't know why I'm still doing it. Hello, welcome to McDonald's. I'm Adeline. What would you, what's your order today? Uh, hi, my name's Jackson, and this is the same bit from last episode. It is. It's a different restaurant. Welcome to McDonald's. <laughs> we don't have pizza. Um, I just want a milkshake. Okay. Uh, we're actually, uh, we don't sell those anymore. Oh, not at all? They, they've been discontinued. Oh, okay. Then just, a uh, just a medium soft drink then. We don't have that. What happened to the soda fountain? It's broken. I can see it. I could get you an extra large or, uh, no, that's it. The soda fountain is broken, so you can only get me an extra large? Yeah. Wait, let me go check in the back. Hold on. Just wait right here. <laughs> hey, Dave! Yeah, the soda machine's broken. Do we have any cups? Dave! Um, Dave's been dead for nine years. <laughs> so we really are just gonna, like, recycle all the same jokes from the last one, huh? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Fine, we'll do a different uh, one. <laughs> okay. No, start over. Scrap everything. Okay, you can start with McDonald's. My name is Adeline McMurray. So you can start with McDonald's and we're gonna take it to a new place. Are you ready? Are we gonna, yeah, we're gonna drive to a different McDonald's. Okay, new McDonald's. This one's in Kennewick. God, why is it in Kennewick? That's just the first time that came to my head. This is a Kennewick McDonald's. Go. Hi, welcome to Kennewick. This is a McDonald's. Hi, do you guys have a red box inside your establishment? We have one outside of our establishment. Oh, that's great. Thank you for letting me know. I'm gonna go use it. Thank You're you so welcome. much. You're welcome. Yeah, leave a review. And then the sound of a door opening and closing. Yeah. And this is no nerds allowed. So are you good with that one? You good with yeah, that? Yeah, uh-huh. Good clean take? <laughs> so you're having to think. I did. Oh, we've done it. No, we didn't yet. My name, you said it's no nerds allowed. There are no nerds allowed. Yes, thank My name's Adeline. That's Jackson. This is no nerds allowed. Uh, good stuff. Guess how many nerds are allowed in here, because it's none. Are you good? This is where the intro goes. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. We're good. <laughs> Maybe you'll have some bread and calm down. Some, some bread? It's a meme. Okay. No one is as meme literate as I am. <laughs> okay. Can you explain it to me? It's from one of those. Okay. Eat. Okay, some so it's like one. It's. And calm down. It's from one of those, like, reality TV shows. I think it's from, like, The Wives of whatever. But it's just these women getting a big fight, and she's like, maybe you'll eat some bread and you'll calm down. And it's really funny. It sounds really good. It is. I'm not getting any responses from this. Oh, wait, here it is. Keep calm yeah. and eat bread. They're all just the same. They're all that 
outdated meme that, format and they just say that Kukana, meme that wasn't bread. even funny ever yeah i don't know why that still exists in the public consciousness like keep calm and noun right or verb uh or sentence yeah or it's like really funny and it's like keep calm and video, video games. games oh keep calm in minecraft <laughs> we got it okay um sorry i was just really excited that we said the same thing at the same time okay great keep calm keep and calm eat a and... waffle keep calm and batman but it's a unicorn <laughs> i love bacon and pandas uh let's see keep calm and have a cupcake keep calm yep. and drink wine keep calm uh-huh. and say i do that's my favorite oh, okay um that one's just wholesome keep calm and pokemon Yep, uh-huh. <laughs> Here's a good one. Keep calm and keep calm. That's hilarious. Oh, oh my god, it turned... Oh, it's twisted view. Turned the whole joke on its head. Keep calm and pray hard. That's what I do every day. Keep calm and eat a cookie. Okay. I will. Uh-huh. Keep calm and puke rainbows. There's a mustache on this one. Oh my god, we found it. <laughs> so, okay. Here's a list of things that everybody, like, says are random but are not random at all, okay? Yes. Mustaches. Yes. Um, bacon. Yes. Unicorns. Yes. Um, narwhals. Yes. What else? Pandas. Pandas. I feel like that's sort of less so, but still, yes. That's, like, pandas and sloths are, like, on that, Just, like, like, lower B-tier, tier. Yeah. Yeah, of, like, weird animals. Let's see. Platypus is down there, too. Yeah, platypus is in there. I'm trying to think what, what else is at, like, the very top. Of randomness. Uh, pumpkin spice. Yeah, that's... Sh- sure, I'll give you that one. Yeah, Let's see. pickles oh, here's, for like a minute. Yeah, here's one right here. Keep calm and eat bacon. Yeah. Keep calm and be a unicorn. Wow, you can tell when this meme hit its peak popularity. Yeah, it was 2008. <laughs> 2010, maybe. Here's, here's my favorite one. It has a picture of a sewing machine. And it says, keep calm and grab the seam ripper. Keep calm and grab the spine ripper. Sounds like a Dark Souls enemy. I know. The seam ripper. <laughs> wow, this one's really woke. It says, keep calm and recognize your intent was different than your impact. Wow. What? That one's true. Who who made it and why? <laughs> I don't know. Do we want to talk about the Lego movie? Not yet. I'm still looking through these. Here's one that says, Great. keep calm, and there's just a picture of a Snorlax. I like That's that That's pretty one. good. That's a good one. What's the song that Nice Peter sings, such as how Munch- or Munchlax is his favorite Pokemon? <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. It sounds great, it's though. It's like, Munchlax, you're my new favorite Pokemon. <laughs> it's like, I don't know that much about Pokemon, but I know you're the best one. <laughs> it's just really good. That's not, I'll have to look at that later. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so um, how did you like the Lego movie, Adeline? I love the Lego Moogie. The Moogie. The Lego Googie. The Lego Googie. The Lego Googie. I love the Lego movie. It's a very <laughs> good movie. It's a great film. Yeah, I agree. Honestly, this is the first movie in a really long time that I wrote down like less than two pages of notes on. Because it is just really good. Yeah, it's just really good. 
It's so good. God. Um, <laughs> Y'all, the Lego movie's good. We've been sleeping on the Lego movie. I don't think we really the have. great. No, we haven't. We've been talking. Everyone's been talking about how great the Lego yeah. movie is. I thought I would just say that anyway. The Lego movie's really good. <laughs> there was somebody. I don't remember who it was. It's like some review online I read that we're talking about the Lego movie in this episode. By the way. Yeah. Uh, there was some <laughs> review I saw that like put the Lego movie and Pirates of the Caribbean in the same boat of like movies that had no right to be as good as they were like things that were absolutely cringe inducing when you heard they were announced but then turned out to be like really great movies yeah okay thinking about like the first pirates of the caribbean movie yeah man like what a time to be alive to be (laughs) like man we're gonna make a movie about an amusement park ride from 1945 and everyone went cool Great, and then it came out and rocked yeah, and for it was no like reason. The best movie. God, I wish yeah, I could have seen like, that movie well, in theaters. God, I know. See, like two movies I wish I could see, like when they came out, is Star Wars and The Pirates of the Caribbean, because yeah. like, just like the best second movie, Pirates of the Caribbean should have been terrible. Right. No, and I don't know. I think Pirates of the Caribbean. Not to just totally derail us and just talk about Pirates of the Caribbean instead. No, we're good. But when I think about like what I think to be the absolute like best like popcorn blockbusters of all time, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean and The Mummy and Men in Black, and I feel like those are just kind of the top three in terms of just yeah. like minimal substance, but still just the best in the world. Yeah, just great to watch. Yeah. And man, I was trying to, I was trying to think. I was like, oh man, the mummy has an amusement park ride too, but that was definitely afterwards. Right. Well, yeah, and I was gonna say, and that's like based on the old Universal Studios monster movies. No, it's not. We went on it. No, I mean the movie was. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got. There's a lot of layers, and I'm lost in the sauce. <laughs> Remember? But we can keep going. Okay, I need to find out. Are they still trying to make that happen in the 21st century? I don't know, because no one saw the new Mummy movie, right. so I don't know if they're doing that anymore. I just dropped my microphone, we're good. Um, yeah, I know, I heard it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so mad about the Mummy movie not being popular. Uh, yeah, because it's a good idea. I'm trying to see if they're moving forward with any other ones, if they're still trying well, to maybe make it work, or if they're just like, nah, we're good. Wasn't there a rumor they were going to do The Bride of Frankenstein? Yeah, that was going to be one of them. Hold on. Because there was... That edgy new Frankenstein movie that no one saw and wasn't related to anything. Right. What was that movie called? No one saw it. Uh, I Frankenstein. It was bad. It wasn't part That's of that. Right. Yeah, no one saw it. Um, okay, so it looks like they're making an Invisible Man movie next March. They're still going oh, forward with that. The scariest one of them all. <laughs> right. So, the Invisible Man. According to Wikipedia, as of right now... Um, the only things that they're still moving forward with are Invisible Man and Bride of Frankenstein. And we don't know when okay. Bride of Frankenstein's coming out, but someday. I just want a good, regular Frankenstein movie. Yeah. Because I was going to make a joke about feminism ruining everything, but I couldn't catch it. <laughs> anyway, because... <laughs> no, because I couldn't I love... find the right level of irony to... <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> I love the Frankenstein book by Mary Shelley. It's such a good story, and I love that book. And then you have, like, the classic Frankenstein movie that's just, like, it's nothing. It's just, like, right. oh, my, oh, spooky, woo. 
And then Abbott and Costello burn Frankenstein alive on a dock, and that happens. Wait, what? And Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. Uh, Frankenstein is in that movie, and Abbott and Costello <laughs> burn him alive on a dock, and it's actually super scary. That rules. Can we watch that movie yeah. for this podcast instead? Oh, dude, I'm so down to watch Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. Are you kidding me? Yeah, let's do that next week, like, for real, though. Okay, absolutely. It's a trip. <laughs> Okay, so the, no, the beginning of Abbott and Costello meet Dracula is that Abbott and Costello get like hired to work at this museum, and they're like putting up these statues of Dracula and Frankenstein. But guess what, motherfuckers? It's the real Dracula and Frankenstein. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay, it's so good. Um, yeah, I don't. Know. I'm curious about Invisible Man. I wonder where they're gonna go with that. I don't really know that story very well. I only know is that he's covered in bandages and he wears a hat and wears sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's based on and a he's... book. Not scary. <laughs> Who wrote that book? Was that a Jules Verne? Or, Mary Shelley. Or was it the other guy? There are like two old-timey horror writers, and I can't remember which one is which. Jackson Pollock. No. H.G. Wells. is. I think it's an H.G. Wells joint. Daniel Stern. I think that's an H.G. Wells joint. Who is Daniel Stern? An actor? <laughs> I don't think that's anybody, Adeline. That's a person. Am I combining two people in my head? Daniel Stern. I guess that is an actor, but he's, oh, he's, suck it, he's not a popular one. What is he in? He was in Home Alone 2. Um, that's <laughs> the only thing I recognize. Who, how do I know who Daniel Stern is? I don't think you do. I think you just made up that name and it happened to be no, the name of an actor. No, I knew the name. Are you thinking of Howard Stern? No. Okay. Thinking of Daniel Stern. He was in Whip It, that movie with Ellen Page. He was in Home Alone. Oh, he plays one of the bad guys, and he plays the guy, the bad guy in Home Alone. That's how I know him. You've never seen Home Alone, though, is the thing. But I know of Home Alone. <laughs> I understand the concept of Home okay. Alone. All right. Oh, he was in Chud. Great. Can we talk about the Lego movie? No, I want to talk about the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers for a little bit. Okay. No, I don't. I don't have anything to say about Chud. Besides Great, that, it's yeah. just really funny to say. I thought so. I, what's so good about the Lego movie and why it's like just like stays as such a good movie is that it is just the like most gorgeous animated film. It's so pretty. Like just aesthetically, like the way there's like I talk about this a lot throughout like watching the whole movie, but like there's just there's so much camera movement and cinematography yeah. and like practical lighting and like every single shot there's like twelve things happening and the camera's moving and like every shot seems so specific and planned out. Like it's a gorgeous film, like just from the cinematography standpoint. Right. Yeah. And it's crazy. And I remember as a kid always being really confused as to whether or not it was like stop motion animated or like just digitally yeah. animated. And I did a little bit of research before we came in here today. And it's a little bit of both. They use, I don't, as far as I can tell, I don't think there are any shots that are completely stop motion animated, but there yeah. were physical Lego sets that they used in stop motion techniques for some things. I think there were some shots that were mostly stop motion and some shots that were completely digital, but there were a lot of shots yeah. that are sort of an amalgamation of both. Like they would have computer-generated characters moving in a real stop-motion environment um, and stuff Which like is that. crazy yeah. with some of those shots where the camera is just, like, moving, like, a million miles an hour at, like, all angles. Yeah, for like, sure. that's still crazy. Yeah, and the whole thing is 
And it's also, it's sort of crafted to give the illusion of stop motion, because oh, yeah, it's, uh, okay, here's something about animation that me and Anna get in heated debates on all the time. It's called, right. it's, it's not really a debate, it's just a stupid piece of terminology. It's called, uh, the movie's, what they say, done in twos, which basically means that it just runs at half the frame rate, like it often does in yeah. stop motion. But every time I just try to say, like, oh, is it, this is an animated movie, it's in, like, 12 frames per second. And she's like, no, Jackson, all movies are in 24 frames per second. There's no such thing as a movie that's 12 frames per second. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that when you're exhibiting a movie, it's always 24 frames a second. My point is, is that there's only 12 individual images that are being shown every second. And, like, it is so, it's so stupid that she... (laughs) <laughs> she, like, okay. fights me so hard on the fact that it's not 12 frames a second. It's called something being done in twos, which is stupid. Anna doesn't okay. listen to this podcast, so I can be as angry as I want. Oh, great. <laughs> good, great, good. <laughs> but, yeah, so the Lego movie is... <laughs> so the Lego the movie... The Lego movie is done in twos. It's not 12 frames a second. Um, okay. But, yeah, so it, it's all about, like, giving this sort of authentic vibe even when it isn't totally yeah but yeah it's just it's this totally like ground up creative approach you know and Mm -hmm. it's not even necessarily like this is anything totally groundbreaking it's just that like they no they clearly they like had the foresight to plan out and doing something that nobody's ever done before you know oh yeah which just i don't not that I'm trying to say, like, oh, integrated real stop motion and CG's the future and blah, blah, blah. It just means that they really came at this thing from the ground up and were making creative decisions explicitly for this movie, which a lot of especially property-based animated movies wouldn't really oh, yeah. be doing. It with I don't... <laughs> see, Anna and me both do animation stuff, so we have the same opinion about some stuff, and we've talked about this stuff before, but, like, having... 3D animation kind of get to a standstill where it all kind of looks the same. Right. Sucks. And so I have to have animation projects like the Spider-Verse and the Lego movie and like even like Charlie Brown and like Captain Underpants. Yeah. So like come at 3D animation with some stylization and some like fluid motion to them is like really cool because I don't want everything like I don't know. For me, it's like if you make if you make CGI too realistic, then it's just like why are we why are we doing it? Like right. if you're not bringing any style or any like <laughs> creativity to it, and like why not just shoot a regular movie? <laughs> right. So when you have, especially because it's all based on making a model, a computer model, and then you move that computer model to like at its very 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 base core. And so to just, like, have a model that never changes can get really boring. So to see movies like Captain Underpants and Charlie, or not Charlie, Charlie, <clears throat> Charlie Brown, to, like, have their models, like, move and have that squish and pull that 2D animation has right. is, like, very nice and I very like it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about sort of the state of the industry. Um, I hate that I just Ooh. said that, but it's fine. Uh, yeah. The and the thing about Spider-Verse is so cool is that, like, there are some other things that are doing really unique stylistic things, like you said, like Charlie Brown, like Captain Underpants, like Lego Movie. 
But those things are all styles that already existed. They're, like, based on True. somebody else's already existing style of something else, usually a 2D thing. Um, and Spider-Verse was kind of the first thing that had, like, its own <laughs> really unique style yeah, like in 3D animation. Yeah, inventing its own style. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to say. What were we just talking about? Uh, in twos. 12 frames per second. No, it wasn't that. Um, uh, and Legos. Legos look cool. Yeah, Legos look very cool. That was it. That's what I was going to say. Um, Great, they do, <laughs> is the thing about that. Uh, but yeah, like right off the bat, the first scene in this movie, like it sets the tone so perfectly well. It's because it's just lightning fast and it's so full oh, yeah. of jokes. <laughs> I know. I love the comedic timing in the Lego movies. They are so funny. Right. And it's just, I don't know how to describe it. Like, they're just so quick and, like, rapid-fire jokes and, like, silly voices and, like, right. things that don't... Like, they. there's so many non-jokes in this movie <laughs> that are just hilarious. Right. Like, there's, like, the two pi- or the two cowboys sitting in the cafe, and one of them, like, turns to the other and goes, do you think that Zeppelins are a good investment? And then we immediately jump to the action. Right. And it's just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I remember what the other thing I was going to talk about was. Um, so, do you remember that movie from a few years ago called Loving Vincent? Yes, where every frame was a painting. Yeah, every <laughs> every frame of painting. Um, <laughs> but, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it was, though. It that was, was the though. Thing. Here's the thing about it, though. So, it... It was a very clear, like, vision for this movie. But the way that yeah. they executed it was basically they made a whole movie just with live-action actors on film and then rotoscoped over the entire thing. I hate rotoscoping. I'm sorry. Yeah. I hate it. And so I wouldn't even necessarily... Like, that's an interesting artistic choice for its own thing. But in the yeah. medium of oil painting like that, you have this, like, absolute creative freedom to do these, like, totally wild things. And you literally yeah. just chose to make a boring live-action movie and just paint over it. It's, like, yeah. it, it's so frustrating to me. Um, That's why Coco won the Oscar. Yeah, that because... Coco's great. Well, and also, yeah, I was always like, wow, it seems crazy that Loving Vincent didn't win because it was so, like, painfully produced painstakingly yeah not painfully. Had so much art, art behind <laughs> right but then i watched it and i was like hey this is one of the most boring scripts of any movie i've ever seen and i mean well with a project like that when there's so much focus going only on the visuals like how how could the script be good you know yeah and it's like i don't know it just it feels like such a huge missed opportunity because yeah. like i don't know to me it seems like one oil painting doesn't necessarily take more effort to produce than any other oil painting in terms of what you're actually drawing, you know? So, like, why not make them draw something cool instead of just making them draw Chris O'Dowd with a goofy beard the whole time? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I... Uh, I'm going back to rotoscoping. I'm just going to complain about rotoscoping uh, sure. in general. Because it's like... Because it's like, yeah, what you said, it's like you're just going to take this performance and just, like, kind of remove all creativity and just draw over it. And, like, that's my biggest beef with the Anastasia animated movie. Right. Because it's it's not an animated movie. It's it's actors acting a movie, and then you drew over it. You literally traced it. Like, it's tracing. It's not, right. it's not animation. You traced a film. And then when they said, oh, we're doing Anastasia on Broadway, I kind of want to scream, you should have just made a Broadway <laughs> right. play. You should have done that wrote, in the first place. You wrote, directed, wrote songs for, did choreography for 
an animated film, you should have just made a Broadway play. What's wrong with yeah. you? <laughs> Uh, what studio did Anastasia? Was that DreamWorks? No, it was a weird one. I think it was Fox. Really? Because it's not the whole thing. It's not Disney. Right. Oh, that was a Don Bluth movie? I didn't know that. Yeah, because it, he there's a man with a part down the middle of his hair, so you know it's Don Bluth. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And there's a big man who's very happy. Right. Uh, just yeah, it's Fox, Fox Animation. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that was back before they made Blue Sky Studios. That's when yeah. they were just called Fox Animation. Um, yeah, yeah, anyway, bad movie all around. What about um, the Lego movie? <laughs> Lego movie's great. Yeah. But <laughs> they didn't use rotoscoping, so that makes it a good Well, film. I don't know. How do you define rotoscoping? They probably rotoscoped over some Lego figurines at some point. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> Do you okay. think? So you okay? You dug this hole, and now we gotta talk about it. So, so Disney films famously have shots of people acting out scenes to use for references, right. and that's a whole different. That's not rotoscoping because they're just using it for references. They're not tracing over it. They're different from the final animation because there's all these shots of like the Hercules muses dancing and there's lots of shots of the girl who voiced Ariel running around and doing poses and stuff. Right. But if you look at those like the the film that they have of the people and then the finished animation, there are stylistic differences in the movement right. from the two things, like colors are different, things are different. They didn't just film something and then traced over right. it. They were using a reference but built off of that reference. But that's not what you do in rotoscoping. You just trace. You're just tracing. Right. Okay. I do want to say I think that they still use the term rotoscoping for things like that Hercules sequence you're talking about. Probably. I don't think they but, call it something different when you're adding stylistic changes. But that's what I'm saying. Okay. That you can use film and animation in a constructive and creative way. Or you can just trace over right. it, and then in that case, you should have just made a Broadway exactly. play because you already did it. You did all the work. Right. Yeah. No. And you know, with loving Vincent, it's just like this sucks. And just because it's an yeah. oil painting doesn't make it good. Like I'm really sorry, yeah. but this is the most boring movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, I love. So okay, wait. The character. I want to get back to the very first scene in the Lego Movie because that's where we were when we got yeah. on this big tangent. Because yeah, uh-huh. it sets up, like, first of all, the fact that Will Ferrell and Morgan Freeman in this movie are both hilarious. Um, I know, they're so they're good. They're like the standout performances of this whole movie. Um, and, <laughs> it's, and it's just, like, so lightning fast with all these different jokes. There's one moment where Morgan Freeman says something like, because I have the all-seeing eye and the power of sight. And then he, like, blasts him. And he's like, oh, my eyes! It's so yeah. good. Um, <laughs> well, it's so nice to see Morgan Freeman in, like, a silly, funny role. Yeah, I, I know. I feel like I've never seen him in something like that. He's always very serious, right. you know? And, you know, and I wrote that down. Like, when was the last time Morgan Freeman got to be really funny? Um, yeah, he's a funny dude. And I think about, like, he did a couple of, like, old man comedies. <laughs> A yeah. few years ago, but they well, weren't those, those like are the jokes are that Morgan Freeman says fuck, and that's the joke. Yeah, and but... it's like you know, it's a very reserved kind of humor, and it's yeah. like it's not it's not like a very lowbrow, goofy kind of thing. It's more like yeah, it's not silly. Yeah, like and it's ah oh god, and he's so funny in this. Like he perfect like yeah. when he delivers a really goofy line, he's able to like buy back his serious tone so quickly afterwards, and it's just perfect. 
And yeah. like, and there's this scene where he's talking to Dumbledore and Gandalf, which is kind of a joke because <laughs> right. he's totally playing that yeah. mentor character. And he's like, "You're Dumbledore." And he's like, "I'm Dumbledore. That's Gandalf." And he's like, "All right, you're gonna have to write all that down because I'm not gonna remember any of it." Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. It's just really good. And oh man, yeah, and that's really funny. And uh, a side note, I think maybe Will Ferrell should just stick to voice acting for a little bit. Who? Will Ferrell. Oh yeah. Because like he's really great in this movie. And he hasn't really so been good. in anything good in the last, like, five or six years, probably. Well, because I honestly think in animation, he doesn't have the weight of being Will Ferrell right. on his performance. Yeah. You know? Like, he could just be Lord Business. He doesn't have to be Will Ferrell playing a character, you know? Yeah. And I think Will Ferrell has a certain comedic sensibility that I think just plays better in animation sometimes. Because his timing is a little weird. And when it works, it works really well. And, like, Adam McKay especially is great at, like, crafting that into something that's really funny. But if somebody Mm -hmm. isn't really great at it and it's, like, just him and you, like, stay on him for too long, like, the timing gets a little bit disorienting of his sort of humor, if that makes any sense at all. And I think... In animation, you just he says something funny one time, and then you put it in wherever you want, you know. Yeah. Um, There's more, a little bit more of an editing process. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Um, uh, I love. Well, first of all, I love the character of Emmett. Emmett is adorable, but Chris Pratt does such a good job as a voice actor. Like yeah. he like emotes so much through his voice. Like, I'm always blown away by how good of an actor Chris Pratt is. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. No, yeah, and that's one of the things. I was, I've was i been thinking a lot more about, like, celebrity-voiced casts in movies mm-hmm. um, since that Lindsay Ellis video came out about Robin Williams. Did you watch that? Mm-mm. So, uh, basically, it was just talking about how casting Robin Williams as the genie, like, spurred the sort of trend of, like, casting celebrities in animated movies. Um, yeah. And how, like, traditionally, it was, like just working voice actors or, like, you know, working actors that weren't necessarily, like, A-list celebrities that mm-hmm. would often do voice work were the cast of these movies. And that's, you know, most of the time, movies before, you know, 1990, before Shrek, basically, <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't always, uh, you wouldn't always recognize all of the names in them, because they weren't, they weren't, like, huge stars. Um yeah. And this movie, and Disney recently has gone back to that a lot. They haven't had as big oh, of yeah. celebrity casts. Like, looking at Coco, and looking at Moana, and looking at, you know, Wreck-It Ralph is an exception. But, like, that traditionally, means, yeah. besides Dwayne The Rock Johnson being in Moana, it's not, like, yeah. a big celebrity cast. Like, you don't really know any of the people yeah. that are in it from I mean, all of the things. Disney princesses... I don't know if they've all been open auditions. I do that. I do know that Moana was an opening was open auditions. Right. But I feel like with the Disney princesses, especially, they've kind of been super open to actresses that aren't mega famous. Right. No, yeah, and so it's I don't know. It's just interesting because I think this is the Lego Movie kind of has one foot in either camp because yeah. like you've got your lead roles being played by Elizabeth Banks and Chris Pratt, who at the time weren't really very famous. Um, yeah. Th- I guess this was after Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was before Jurassic World. So he, he wasn't like a yeah. megastar yet. He was. No, it was. It was like the role after his breakout. Yeah, role. exactly. Um, and when they hired him, I don't think they thought of him as a bankable 
talent, you know. And yeah. Elizabeth Banks is one of those people that's just like a career actor. She's never had like a leading role in anything, but she's all over the place and has her fingers in a lot of different pies. Um, yeah. But then you've also got like Liam Neeson and Morgan Freeman and... Yeah. Uh, but the thing about that is that they're all so perfect in this movie. Like, they all give such yeah, great performances. So okay, I want to give an award to whoever casted Will Arnett as Batman. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I would have never have thought that I would want that in a million years. But he does such a good God, job so as Batman. Funny. He's, like, the only Batman I care about. I love him so much. Um, And, yeah, and one of the things I have written down here is, like, is the Lego movie kind of the most beloved comedy of the 21st century? Probably. I feel like it kind of is. Well, because if we were at the sushi, we were at the sushi restaurant downtown that plays really weird music, because right. I'm sure it's just whoever the manager is in charge, they play music. But everything is awesome came on. Oh, really? And I'm pretty sure everybody in the restaurant like knew the words and was either like dancing around or like humming it. So right. like, yeah. People love the Lego movie. I guess I guess I'm thinking I guess Anchorman came out in the twenty first century. So maybe maybe like a close second. It's up there though, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Uh well going back to like the movie itself, this movie covers so many themes and like talks about a lot of stuff right. that I think is so interesting. There's a really good joke, but it's also really poignant where Emmett basically Emmett finds a piece of resistance and then is immediately captured by the bad guys and they're like interviewing him and stuff. And he's like, why would, why would Dr. Business want to destroy the world? He runs MCOR, evil corporation. They're super good. Right. They make like coffee and TV and video games and history books and voting machines. Yeah. Wait a minute. And then, it's just really yeah. good. Like that's so true. It, and it's like just like a throwaway joke where you can tell they're, Act right. still trying to make a point about capitalism yeah. a little no, bit. And I, do I think, think it's really funny. Maybe my biggest critique of the movie is just that there's thematically, I think, a little bit too much going on. It's yeah. A, I think it's about like one too many things. <laughs> like yeah, it's definitely about fascism in its own kind of way, but it's also about finding a balance between order and chaos, and it's also about the sense of being special and unique and living in your own way and it's also about creativity and yeah like it's got like a bunch of different like big themes and i feel like it could have done with maybe just like one fewer yeah and i mean they still handle them all really well yeah i think so too but when you try to think down, like sit down and think, it's like what was this? Like what am I supposed to take away from this movie? Right. You kind of have to list off like five things <laughs> right. of what you were supposed to take yeah. away, which is fine. And I think it's you're able to tell kind of complicated stories, but right. it does get a little bit mixed yeah. up. And there's one theme that I think it plays with really interestingly, um, and I kind of wish they would have been a little more explicit about the way that they sort of the conclusion they draw from it. Because there's that moment mm-hmm. near the end where Will Ferrell just, like, blasts you with, like, the buzz phrases to, like, tip you off that this is what they're talking about. Where it's like, I wasn't given a participation trophy or I'm not a yeah. special snowflake. And it's like, boom, 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 we're talking about millennials now. Yeah. Um, But it's like, I feel like the point that they're trying to get across is that people shouldn't be told they're exceptional, but they should be told they're unique, which is true. 
I think it's a really sort of nuanced sort of point where it's like, you know, being told that you are this incredible hero and you are better than everyone is not healthy, but you are... Yeah, it's not healthy for you or anyone around right. you. But being told that you are unique and you have something to offer to the world and that you are special in your own way is a different thing entirely. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, a really nuanced and really important point that I don't think I've ever heard anybody make in exactly that same way. And I kind of wish it was yeah. a little bit more... I don't know, I guess just spelled out that that was sort of the message they were going for, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, because it's so tied up in all these other themes they're trying to wrap up all at once <laughs> at the I end, mean, yeah. you know? I, I was trying to... I, I guess not. I was trying to figure out, like, why is Emmett so relatable? Because he's... The joke is that he's the everyman, but he is so relatable because he is the everyman. Like, that scene where he's being interrogated, and he's like, I'm a nobody, ask anybody, and then all of the people that he likes just, like, continuously talk about how unimportant and boring right. and they don't like him. Like, that scene is so sad. Yeah. It just, like, breaks my heart. But yeah, no, and it's that, like, trademark Phil Lord, Chris Miller, like, they could just put jokes into any scene, regardless of how the scene is supposed to make you feel, and not yeah. jeopardize the tone of it at all. Yeah. Which is just, it's so like, wild. Like, yeah, because the, when they're asking the people, like, what do you think about Emmett? They're making jokes, but it's sad. Yeah, man. And, like, the jokes are still funny. Right. They're still landing, but I'm still sad. Yeah. It's very, you're right, that's super weird and interesting. And that, yeah, I think that's sort of the thing that's made Fit, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller as successful and popular as they have been, is their ability to do that. Because, like... It's it's just such a hard thing to do, and it requires this, like, super light touch that I think not a lot of people can really pull off. They do a lot of the same stuff in Spider-Verse, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Even though, I'm trying to remember if they wrote the screenplay for Spider-Verse. I think they and a couple other people wrote the screenplay for Spider-Verse. I feel like I heard that. Like, 10 billion people wrote the screenplay yeah. for Spider-Verse. There's a lot of writers. Uh, no, that was Spider-Man but... Homecoming that famously had a lot oh, of writers. Oh, Homecoming. Sorry. Yeah, they had, like, eight screenwriters on that movie. But it paid off, though, yeah. so we're good. Uh, I really applaud this movie for how well it, like, perfectly captures how children play with toys and the stories that children make with their toys. Right. Like... My mom always kind of brags that when I would go over to a friend's house and play with Polly Pockets, I would, like, create this big dramatic story and <laughs> to the point where my friend's mom would be like, hey, is she okay? My mom would be just like, yeah, she's just making a story. But, like, <laughs> there's these points in the movie where there's just, like, this, like, sudden, like, intense drama, but it's kind of like this two-dimensional kind of silly drama, right, yeah. you know? Well, like, with the bad cop, like, uh, pointing the craggling his parents like it's a dramatic (laughs) moment but it's also silly and kind of two-dimensional and they're making jokes but at the same time it's kind of an an emotional crux of the movie because this is bad cop becoming bad cop and so yeah they just handle it so well like there there's this genre of kids movies that's like oh the power of imagination and they just like can never actually 
capture right. how children are imaginative. And I, but this movie does such a good job of it. I just want to say that that like him crackling his parents is I can totally see that coming out of you at like four years old, like oh, just yeah, you absolutely. playing with toys and being like, and he's the bad guy, and now he has to kill his parents. And your friends' yeah. parents are like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, yeah, but that's totally that's something a little kid with would toys. come up with. Yeah. Because, I don't know, and that's so weird, like, that kind of thing. It's like, that idea doesn't really have as much weight to a kid as it does to an adult. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, it's just one of those weird things where it's like, the kid's just like, yeah, that is, that would be cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's like, I people always try to, like, shelter little kids, not from, like, scary things, but from, like, intense things. Yeah. And what I think people don't understand is that kids like that kind of intense storytelling. Right. And to them, it doesn't have... I guess to adults, it has more weight to yeah. it. And to kids, it's just kind of like story elements. Right. So, yeah, a little kid, little kids like that drama. They like that sort of thing. I don't know. For me, I think it just sort of was sort of a case-by-case thing. Because, like, sometimes in movies when it was, like... And I guess it just sort of depends. Like... There were certain moments when, like, realities of the world started to, like, set in as reality, you know? So it's like sometimes I could watch something and it would be like, oh, the mom died. That's so sad. I'd be like, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. But, like, every once in a while something would hit me in just the exact right way and I'd be like, oh, like, people die and, like, that is something that happens in the world that's real and happens around me and it like scared the shit out of me you know <laughs> you know what one of those moments was for What's me that? you know the jimmy neutron movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> where all the parents get abducted by aliens right that felt real to you i remember yeah i remember there was this one scene it's just like this little girl who just like kind of realizes that her parents are gone and she like starts crying and she's like i want my mommy i remember being like 12 and being like oh shit her parents aren't yeah. there and it just like made me cry i, think I remember that as sequence. A Neutron movie. right <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think i remember i got to see the original spider-man really young um and that scene at the end where he kills norman osborne really scared me oh yeah um I'm trying to think of any other good examples of, like, things I saw that, like, really freaked me out just because they were, like, mature, you know? Yeah. I remember being scared to watch The Lord of the Rings, but as soon as I just, like, sat down and watched The Lord of the Rings, it didn't scare me. Right, yeah. I remember bawling my eyes out the first time I watched Darth Vader die at the end of... uh, Spoilers. (laughs) At the end of Empire Strikes Back or Return Return of the Jedi, Jedi, whichever the one the sixth one is. Yeah, Return of the Jedi. Because I, I was a super weird kid when it came to movies. Because right. I, in my own mind, I really liked intense stuff and I liked drama. But I, whenever I saw that in a film and was, like, sitting there and watching it, it would give me anxiety. Right. So anytime there was any, like, high emotions, I would hate it and I wouldn't want to watch right. it. Right, yeah. No, and I remember that. I was going to say, I don't think it's too embarrassing now that we're, like, talking about no, this. No, totally But, not. like... We, I remember we had to take Adeline out of Elf when, um, what's his name? What's the actor's name? Peter Dinklage. Um, but yeah, yeah in yeah, Elf yeah. when Peter Dinklage, like, beats the shit out of Will Ferrell, you just, like, freaked out and yeah. we had to, like, take you out of no, the movie theater. Cause it, I was, cause I was in, cause that whole scene is Will Ferrell not understanding that he's not an elf right. cause he grew up in the North Pole. So that, like, that, like, awkwardness of that scene and then followed by the violence, I just, like, couldn't handle right. it. Right. Another one of those scenes I couldn't handle is in the Tinkerbell movie, 
There's a part where the evil fairy, like, wrecks everything and then blames Tinkerbell. Oh, yeah. So everyone thinks that Tinkerbell, like, ruins spring, and it, like, gave me the worst anxiety. Right. I hated it. It was like it felt like something that might happen to you. I don't know, because I, I would, like, go and I would play with my toys and I would draw and I would, like, make stories. And there would be, like, elements of that on my stories. Like, oh, they're fighting, or oh, someone gets killed, or blah, blah, blah. But then anytime there was, like, that high emotion in, like, something that I had to, like, sit down and watch, it would stress me out. Right. So I don't know. I was a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The next thing I have written down here, it, for, well, the first thing is just a joke, and I said The Office is Emmett's favorite show. Um, and then uh, I just have written <laughs> the down... The Office is my favorite yeah, show. Yeah. I just have written down, uh, make a Bionicle movie, you cowards. I know! Can we please... Oh, my God. I would pay... Ten billion dollars <laughs> for the people who make the Lego movies to make a Bionicle right. movie, please for the love of God. Except, oh my well, God, I would sign up so fast. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about it though. Logistically, the Bionicle movies are like the pinnacle of that like kid-like storytelling. Right. Like the Bionicle movies are not supposed to be a kid playing with Bionicles, but they absolutely are a kid playing with <laughs> right. Bionicles. But okay, so it would have to be like. Like, stop motion with real Lego sets. And I yeah. think it would be really hard to make those characters emote. Yeah, to not be scared. Yeah, and as well, they're like, they don't have as much building capabilities. So I think if you were to put them in a yeah. world made out of Lego, it would be a little bit weird. weird. Yeah. Yeah, because in Bionicle, you don't have, like, fortresses and landscapes and stuff. You literally only have the people. Right. So I get I, I get yeah. it. I still want it. Yeah, though. I don't know. Maybe they could just d defer from the formula and just make just a computer yeah. animated, uh, like, Bionicle movie. I don't know. I mean, they do that in Ninjago, too. There's lots of things in Ninjago that aren't made out of Legos. Right, but that makes like it the water not isn't. nearly as fun is the thing. That's true. That's it. That's my one critique of Ninjago is that they use real CGI water instead of the right. awesome Lego yeah. well, water. They do that in that Lego Batman so too. Cool. Yeah, dude, the Lego water is so it's, cool, and then they do CGI water. Radical. And I'm like, Ugh. I was gonna say, honestly, I think it maybe works a little bit better in Ninjago because it like sets up. They're like in like real woods with real water and stuff, and that sort yeah. of sets up its own sort of tone, I guess. Um. Especially because we're talking about, like, the elements and stuff. It is a little weird to have none of the actual elements, right. like, present. Yeah, but... in Ninjago, it feels kind of like a specific creative decision, whereas in Lego Batman, it kind of just feels like a cost-cutting measure. Yeah. But whatever. Sometimes you got to cut casts. It Sometimes yeah. it really do be that way. Um, yeah. I really... Wild Style is a really weird character to me, and I really like her, because I love the arc that she goes through, where she is this character who wanted to be the chosen one and finds out that she's not the chosen one but it's that it, it's kind of it's it's not that kind of chosen one stuff that i hate like in the matrix where he's the chosen one even if he's not the chosen one he is the chosen one because he, the chosen one had to think he wasn't the chosen one like that whole bs right but this movie is more like Everyone is the chosen one, but it's like it goes back to that. like everybody's not necessarily special, but everyone has something to provide. So right. everyone is a part of being the special. Yeah. But so to have her being like, I wanted to be special so bad, and like her like kind of figuring out her self worth in this movie right. is, I think, a really good story, and I really like her character development. Yeah. 
The, uh, and yeah. I, and everyone asking her if she's a DJ is really <laughs> I know, funny. That's really good. There are so many great running gags in this movie. Like the bit where Channing Tatum is Superman and Jonah Hill is the Green Lantern, like, ripping so off each other is so funny, and they just keep coming back to it. Um, no, I super hate you. I, there's the the whole thing with the double decker couch is like really funny. I love it's, the double decker couch. <laughs> there's this moment that's so good where they show it to Will Ferrell and he just starts kind of like riffing on how stupid it is, and they keep yeah. it in voiceover as they like transition to the next scene. Yeah, <laughs> where it is the double. Yeah, it's couch. so yeah. funny. Um, and there's the shot where he actually like builds it and he like shows it to the squad and they're all like, "What the hell?" And he's like, "It's a double decker couch." <laughs> I thought I thought it would be helpful, but now that we're all standing around here, right. I realize that wasn't. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just really good. Speaking of like the many big themes that there are too many of, which is funny because they're all good. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, like there's this sort of idea that like ultimate free creativity is great but you'd need a structure of some kind to contain it you know when yeah. everybody's just doing their own thing and being freely creative in their own way it's like it's kind of cool but your submarine implodes you know yeah like exactly. you need somebody to be like and in that way you know how when people talk about close encounters of the third kind they talk about it being like this sort of like metaphorical autobiography for steven spielberg like, this yeah. guy who's, like, trying to create something, but nobody sees what it is until it finally comes together and everyone understands, like, comparing it to the process of making a movie. I feel yeah. like Phil Lord and Chris Miller kind of do that with this movie, where it's like, there's a ton of different people who have to work on a project like this. And if every single one oh, of yeah. us gets to have our exact creative vision in every single way, the thing's going to suck. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's going to be You've got to have some infrastructure, you've got to have some compromise, and you've got to put things together in a coherent way in order to make something good. Um, and I yeah. feel like that's part of, part of the theming of this movie that I think is really interesting and cool. Yeah. It, when I, the, when we talked about Beauty and the Beast and I talked about how girl power was, like, the foundation that you built feminism on, right. I feel like with little kids, you build artists out of them. <laughs> right. And the, found, the foundation is be creative. Because right. there's so much children's media that's just like, be creative, go crazy! And that's just not how any art industry really right. works. I mean, you can be an acrylic painter in your basement and you can make money off of that. And you're just all by yourself, and you're just making your own art, and that's a totally different thing. Right. But, like, any artistic environment where you are working with other people to create something and elevate it together, you just need to know how to use your own creativity with other people and to make something cohesive, like right. you said. So it's like, being super creative is the foundation, and then we build, right. like, group working together and being able to share and being able to tone yourself down onto that. Right. And I think that's true, not even necessarily in terms of collaboration, but also just in terms of like artistic being structures, you know, like yeah. it's not it's even, you know, like me personally, I, I made an album, I made it all by myself, but it wasn't like totally and completely freely me expressing myself. It was me working within the confines of like the sort of genres that I had and like the sort yeah. of like musical ideas that already existed that I was building off of and the recording software I was using, like working within these structures to create something that was my own, you know? 
And yeah. it's different than just being like, oh, just do your own thing. Don't listen to anybody. Like, just totally make it, it, it totally and completely you. It's like it's just not quite the way it's got to be, you know? Yeah. And then there's also, like, semi-related, the stuff with Unikitty, where she's like, and everything's always happy and positive all the time. And it's like, that's not really healthy. And it's, like, kind of the same sort of idea. They're kind of tied together. Sorry, hold on. There's a plane crashing next to my house. What? Hold on. Okay, it's gone. There was just a plane flying, like, super low, and it was super <laughs> okay. loud. You can keep going. Uh, yeah, my point is, is, like, in those sort of same breath, they talk about, like, Unikitty and her world being like, oh, everything's so happy and so positive all the time. It's perfect. Even though it's, like, not, you know, and you're just, like, pushing yeah. it all down. I, I guess it's sort of, like, kind of thematically similar. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I guess just emotional compromise rather than artistic compromise. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, there's just a million themes. <laughs> yeah. No, I... Moving on from that part, sorry. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're not really going through the movie. We're no, kind we're of just, going through our thoughts riffing. in the movie, which is fine. But then when I want to talk about the movie, I'm like, so weird segue. But yeah, I love the goof of all the relics being just household stuff that yeah. Will Ferrell is pronouncing wrong. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. And it's it works really well, too, because <laughs> every other thing in the movie is made out of Legos. So when oh, something uh-huh. isn't, like, a perfect square that fits into all the other perfect squares on the screen, it sticks out, like, really obviously. Um, oh, yeah. No, I remember watching this movie for the first time, and when they introduced the relics, I was like, whoa, what the heck are these? How did these get here? Like, <laughs> it creates this moment of, like, intrigue that, like, gets resolved later, and, like, it's really cool. Right. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to really touch on. Um... Uh, okay, here's okay. Here's like just in terms of like a storytelling filmmaking perspective that I was like, this doesn't mm-hmm. work. There's two things. <laughs> um, one is there's that weird moment where Han Solo shows up and Batman is just like, yeah, let's chill, and then he comes back like two minutes later, which is just like I, I don't know. It's this weird mechanic just to let Emmett and Wildstyle have a conversation, but it's just like uh, that felt weird. Well, I was gonna say another thing that this movie does that I really like is that it doesn't shit all over kids who are influenced by the media. Right. Like, I feel like that happens sometimes, where if kids, especially young artists, make, like, fan art or do or make fan fiction or create self-inserts where they're interacting with other media, right. there's, like, this weird cloud over them that they're not as creative as people making their own thing or not as good at it or whatever. Right. So to have Batman be a main character, I really like. <laughs> right. Because it's a little boy playing with Legos. Of course Batman is going to be a main character. And spoiler alert, he turns out to be the best iteration of Batman that's ever been made. So, and hey, you know what? So yeah. Reality check, being able to work with other people's characters is a very moder- or is a very marketable skill in the 21st century. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can you... <laughs> Interact with the Spider-Man character really well? Great. Write Spider-Man. Draw Spider-Man. Like, we need that. But, like, yeah, so to have... I get that having Han Solo fly in randomly, it does kind of stop the movie, but I also believe it in the universe that we've built. Well, yeah, and it's not necessarily that it's Han Solo. It's just that, like... It's just this weird sequence of events where it's just like, oh, Batman's just gonna leave. He's just gonna go off somewhere. And they, like, make it feel like, oh, he's gone now. He, like, Gandalfed out of there. 
but then he like shows yeah. up like literally two minutes later after Emmett and Wilds to like have a conversation. Yeah. It's like, okay, there was probably a less obtrusive way to do that, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> he's seven. Leave him alone. <laughs> um, and then, uh, what was the other thing? I love oh. the whole like. Oh, you can. Yeah, so there's this sort of like Chekhov's gun through line they try to set up where Emmett and Wildstyle say, see you later, alligator to each other. But they yeah. only do it twice, and it doesn't make any sense when they do it the first time. So, like. Yeah, it's a little. It weird. doesn't work at all. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I love. Well, first of all, I love the whole, like, main squad that we get with the. Ben, the astronaut, and Unikitty, and Metalbeard, and Batman. Like, it's right. just so... It's just, like, so captures the spirit of what they're trying to do. Yeah. And, like, Ben is hilarious, <laughs> right. and all of the gags of him trying to build a spaceship yeah. are so good. And that's another part of sort of the creative metaphor to it, I think, is that, like, you know, he's having to compromise and not build a spaceship a lot of the time. But then, yeah. eventually, if you stick it out and are a good team player... You get to build your spaceship. Like yeah. <laughs> eventually, there there's an opportunity when you get yeah. to build your spaceship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's just a really good goof because they have all the master builders and it's all these recognizable, either like famous Lego pieces or famous like a famous IP that was turned into a Lego, right. like Superman and Wonder Woman and stuff. But there's also Shaquille O'Neal is yeah, there. Shaquille O'Neal's so good in this movie. They do the goof where like, y'all ready for this? Oh no, they were ready for that. And it's just really <laughs> so good. Funny. It's a great goof. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's also, at near the end, where we realize that it, this is a little boy playing Legos and it's like bit him and his controlling dad and that's where the plot of this movie is coming right. from. Where you have all these Godzilla shots of Will Ferrell <laughs> through the like Lego City, yeah, that are so funny. Because Will Ferrell's a kaiju. Yeah, shut the fuck <laughs> up. During during this whole like it's it's that same thing again. We're making jokes kind of at all parts of the movie where it's like this is them losing the fight, right? But it's still it's hilarious. Still funny in its own weird <laughs> kind like, of way, yeah. Yeah, and it still doesn't lose any of its emotion it's still sad and kind of scary but it's also hilarious right. and yeah there's a moment in the this is just in the like filmmaker commentary on spider-verse where phil lord and chris miller talk about for their humor to work they constantly have to like undercut the stakes of something happening but then immediately buy them back in order for it to still be like emotionally oh, relevant yeah. and i was like god damn it that sounds like the hardest thing in the world like yeah how do you even do um, that yeah, that's just, I don't know. I know I pretty much said exactly the same thing before, but it's just something that they do really well, and I really respect them for yeah. it. Um, I mean, the ending of this movie still gets me so hard. And I think it's just that it's this great acting moment from Will Ferrell where the dad kind of realizes that his son sees him as the villain of this story. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, heartbreaking. And you have, I, you kind of were saying that that whole scene where Dr. Business is like, oh, you're a special snowflake, I didn't get an award for showing up. That works and is emotional for me because I can tell that those are things that the dad has said. Right. And that's why Dr. Business is saying it and that's why he's the villain and that's why it affects the son so much. Yeah. 
And it's just, it's so, it, man, it, it gets me. Right. It gets me real good. Um, oh, and just another, like, miscellaneous note. They have this sort of, like, reoccurring, it's not really a gag, but it's just this technique they use where they have this, like, super wide-angle lens of, like, extreme close-up on little Lego heads. <laughs> which yeah. is just really, I don't know, kind of funny in its own way. Because, like, I don't know, it's not, like, a shot that you use on human faces, but it's, like, really effective no. on a Lego head for some reason. A Lego thought who is having very existential thoughts <laughs> yeah. as you zoom in on its face. <laughs> yeah. I hope you know that you just said a Lego thought who's having existential <laughs> thoughts. Did I? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Were you trying to say a Lego guy? Maybe, I don't know. Are you sure I said that? Yeah, I'm that? very sure that you said that. <laughs> okay, great. Anyway. <laughs> I think I just mixed up the parts of my No, you did for sure, time. but it's just... <laughs> yeah. I was going to say something. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the one... The, the one... I love all the themes in this movie. The one thing that makes it fall apart, I think, is uh, when Lego uh, released... Uh, like buildable versions of all the things that all the citizens made with like instructions on how to build them and i was like well there goes the whole theme i still think that that is a dumb thing to say because part of the whole theme of the movie is the importance of structure within creativity if there was no if there was no lego set with instructions on how to build it you wouldn't have the pieces or the structure or the knowledge of how to build Legos that you would have if it were just a bunch of pieces. I would say taking the citizens' original ideas and putting instructions to those. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I disagree. Great. Uh, and he's really good. I mean, yeah, I've said everything I wanted to say. Uh, Ghost Wizard Man. What's his name? I think he's Merlin. It's not Merlin, but it, sure? he has a gobbledygook I'm name. Very no, it's sure. not Merlin. I'm very sure it's Merlin. It's not. Hold on. It's it's like Ignatius. Or no, something. no, no, no. It's, it's definitely, Merlin. definitely Merlin. It's not Merlin. Hold on, IMDb. This is the Lego Movie Two. I want the Lego Movie Part One. Do it. I'm trying to do it. Yeah, I know you're doing a bad job. Because IMDb is the worst website in the world. Yeah, no, it sucks. Why is Anthony Daniels credited before Morgan Freeman? Don't worry about uh, it. Oh, you're right. It's Vitruvius. Yeah, it's not Morgan. Whatever. Vitruvius, yeah. No, Ghost Vitruvius is very funny. I really like that line where it's like, it sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. Because I feel like that's true of a lot of things. Like, <laughs> right. we get told lessons over and over again to the point where it's like, yeah, whatever. But, like, cliche. those lessons are still still true and still good, even if they are cliche. Right. Yeah. I don't watch movies anymore because <laughs> it's all just so cliche. That is, this is a stupid story to have to tell. Basically, <laughs> there's just a live YouTube channel that just plays video game music that I listen to sometimes. And the chat there is the worst. And A... One time they all started hating on Keanu Reeves for no reason and I got super mad. And B Yeah, how dare and they? B, one time somebody said, I don't really watch movies anymore because the cliches are just too stale for me. And I was like, You are almost definitely fourteen. And like Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it just was so stupid. Um <laughs> And yeah, and they were all like, 
oh, Keanu Reeves, he's this actor from the 90s who's not good, who is having a resurgence right now for some reason. It's like, uh, not for some reason, because he's been in a bunch of good movies lately. What do you mean, yeah, for some it's reason? Yeah, because he's a great actor. Yeah. What do you want? Well, okay, I don't know if I would say he's a great actor. <laughs> he's, he is a good dude. He's a great dude and really good at fighting. Yes. <laughs> it's all he needs to be. And he's America's sweetheart. And he's going to start a riot in Robot Land. <laughs> <laughs> and he better be romanceable or I'm out. <laughs> I'm so mad. There's so many cool video games I want to play that I can't play anymore because I only have a Switch. Yeah. Because, like, I missed out I... on Spider-Man. I missed out on Sekiro. Yeah. And now I'm going to miss out on Cyberpunk and Death Stranding. And I just, I, oh, I want to be, I want to be in there. I want to, I want to do that. Yeah. It makes me sad. Uh, and I keep thinking, yeah. like, maybe I'll save up some money and buy a PlayStation, but I know the PlayStation 5 is dropping in, like, less than a year. So it's yeah. like, I, I don't know, is I it worth very, it? I am very, I'm very, very thankful that the PlayStation 5 is backwards compatible, or is at least supposed to yeah. be. I mean, I don't know, they haven't really announced much about it yet. Yeah, I really hope it's backwards compatible. Like, why Why is Nintendo the only thing that makes things backwards compatible? Like, it's so nice. Right. I don't have to get rid of all of my old stuff and I buy a new system. Well, like, it just makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, they... I mean, I know they want me to buy all new stuff, but, like, still. Yeah, and I mean, well, the Switch is also 0-0-0% backwards compatible, though. Oh, I know, but they've made it so that you can put things on it, you know? Like no, they done, haven't. They've had this games. whole system leading up to it where it's like, oh, here's all these old games you can buy whenever you want. And then with the Switch, they were like, you just can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's like... No, I mean, like, they're porting stuff onto the Switch, I guess is what Right. I mean. My point is, is that they had a much, much stronger porting system on previous... Yeah. On previous consoles. Well, but then they took their system and made it very, very small, so I get I guess. it. <laughs> I don't know. I still think it's yeah. stupid that they don't have you a virtual you can't console fit on the a CD. You can't fit a CD inside of the Switch. Yeah, no, totally. Um, oh, you meant of, like, Wii U games. What? You meant porting Wii U games onto the Switch. Yeah. Oh, okay, that wasn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking more of, like, virtual console where you play older games. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true of the of the Wii U. Except still no well, Pikmin like you... 3, though. What's the deal with that? Pikmin 3 is, like, the number one best game that's ever been made, so... What's the deal, Nintendo? I thought you I thought you liked Pikmin 2 more than you liked. I Pikmin do like 3. Pikmin 2 more than I like Pikmin 3, but I'm just being dramatic because I want Nintendo to pay attention to me. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> I need Pikmin 3 on the Great. Switch, and I need Pikmin 4 on my desk by five o'clock. I just want a fucking Animal Crossing, <laughs> please. I'm excited because it's been a hot second since we had like a like a Nintendo Switch masterpiece, like. You had oh, Breath yeah. of the Wild, of the and you Wild. had Mario Odyssey, which are both, like, yeah. somehow simultaneously, like, a like a back-to-basics approach, and also, yeah. like, fundamentally revolutionary in their design, like, at the same time. Yeah. Um, and there hasn't really been one of those since then, and I think Animal Crossing could be. Yeah. Well, everyone on the planet is going to buy Animal yeah. Crossing, so it kind of doesn't matter if it's good or not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's like introducing all these new ideas with, like, crafting mechanics and stuff. Um, yeah, it's like Minecraft meets Animal yeah. Crossing. And I guess there's not really a basics to return to with Animal Crossing. They haven't really departed from no. their roots much. 
Except for Mario Kart. <laughs> what? Is there... Um... There's Animal Crossing characters in Mario Kart. Is what oh, it, that's, that's the joke. Was. Okay. That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> so you're saying Mario Kart is the departure that the new Animal Crossing is going to be straying away from? <laughs> yes. Okay. And Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just like, new Animal Crossing game in 2019, and they reveal it, and it's just Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Um... <laughs> uh, I got my secondary thing. Where yeah, go, go for it. All right. I'm going to mispronounce her last name, but I'm going to talk about the Billie Eilish's new album. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's called When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Which is a really good, which is a really good lyric in Bury a Friend. It's a bad album yeah. name. I'm sorry, Billy. I like that you have to it's say so it with long. the same inflection that it is in the song. When we all fall asleep, where do we go? That's how you would say it. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, it's a great album. It's very popular right now, as it should be. I think you once described the album as as dark and sinister as... No, what did you say? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was... Uh, I said um, she embraces her creepy aesthetic with an enthusiasm that only a 17-year-old could have. And I love that. <laughs> As a girl who is 18, I love that. Like, I don't know. She, I mean, the best songs on it are, in my in my personal opinion, my favorite songs on the album are probably Bury a Friend, which is all over the everywhere right now. Bad Guy is very fun. I love Zanny, even though it's a very slow song. But like I don't know, she like she totally captures that creepy aesthetic just like with her whole her whole everything. Right. Like she totally just embraces it. But like it's also not all spooky either. There's a lot of really like slow and sad songs on this album too. Like the song on here that's called I Love You is heartbreaking and it's just this beautiful song. And Listen Before I Go is a song told from the perspective of a girl who's about to kill herself. And it's just, it's so pretty and so sad. Right. But yeah, like she just totally embraces her aesthetic and it's kind of unapologetic for it. Like, especially coming from a 17-year-old girl where 17-year-old girls are made fun of for everything that they like. Right. So for her to just be like, I'm going to make a super creepy album that's super emo emotional and does all these really kind of like edgy themes and just like go whole hog right. it's just like great and it's so cool and good and the first song on it totally reminds me of me and you jackson because i think her producer is her <laughs> yeah. brother it's just like seven exclamation points and it's just billy eilish taking out uh her invisalign and going i've just taken out my invisalign here's the album and it's hilarious <laughs> i don't think i've listened to that before my Invisalign has... I have taken out my Invisalign. I have taken out my, Invisalign, taken out my was... Invisalign, and this is the album. Because <laughs> 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 you can hear her brother, like, saying the joke before she does, and then she says it, and I was like, oh, man, relatable content. Um, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But yeah, the music is all super original. She does a, she samples a lot of stuff, but not in the way that other people sample stuff, like <laughs> but not like other girls. <laughs> but no, she like she uses a lot of just like background like noise in a lot of her songs. There's just like 
Like, you can hear, like, people talking, and there's, like, car sounds, or there's, like, news sounds right. that are just, like, going on in the background. Uh, in My Strange Addiction, she samples the Office episode where they watch Michael Scott's movie, and it weirdly works super <laughs> well, because the opening is Michael Scott going, Billy, I haven't sung that song since my wife died. <laughs> really good i love this album (laughs) i know no billy i haven't done that dance since my wife died there's a whole crowd of people out there who need to learn how to do the scar don't ask questions you don't want to know learn my lesson way too long ago to be talking to you, Belladonna Should have taken a break, not an Oxford comma Take what I want when I wanna And I want you Bad, bad news One of us is gonna lose I'm the powder, you're the fuse Just add some friction <laughs> And the song itself is also a bop But just the fact that she uses that sound right. clip And other parts of the episode too It's just so good <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I've been making an effort for myself to, like, listen to more, like, modern pop music lately, and that's, I mean, I had, like I said, I don't think I've listened to that album all the way through, but, like, Bury a Friend and Bad Guy are both, like, on my little short list of songs that I like. Yeah, they're so good. Um. Yeah. My friend, I, my friend showed me a cover of Bury a Friend, where I think it was Nate Wants to Battle, who's this YouTube guy, but he did a cover of it where he, like, brings in this electric guitar, and it was so, like, unoriginal and bad. I was like, (laughs) why would you take this great song with, like, such cool use of all these different, like, untraditional sounds and such weird timing and these weird, crazy, high-pitched sounds and then just, like, put an electric guitar (laughs) in it? Like, why would you do that? It was so lame. It's a very, like, production-forward sort of sound. You know, like, there's not a lot of, like, musicianship to it. It's all about, like, sort of crafting this this idea, I guess. And she's a very talented singer, but, like, instrumentally, there's not a lot going on. Yeah, no, for sure. The, uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before I move on to my thing? I really like it. (laughs) If you should check it out on Spotify. Can we do that? Can that just be, like, our new sign-off for when we're done? Like, when we, we we can say something and finish with, and that's why I really like it. And that's, like, our cue to move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's what I have definitely been doing for the past few episodes. Okay. Um, so my thing, buckle up, it's a Marvel comic book again. Um, yeah, we know. We all so, know. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, this is going to be another one of those things where there's only one issue of this series, and I really liked it, so I'm going to talk about it and hope that it continues to be good. Um, and that's why you really liked <laughs> but, it. Um, so, <laughs> Black Cat number one came out a few weeks ago, which is not the sort of thing I was expecting to get excited about. Um, yeah. There are some characters... You have a complicated relationship with Black Cat. Well, I don't even really think that I do. I think she's just not a very interesting character. Um the uh it's not complicated i don't yeah i mean pretty much well it's not even that i don't (laughs) like her it's just that i don't think anybody ever puts in the effort enough to actually do anything cool with her she's just i mean not uh, always you know but it's like if you think about like great comic books that have black cat in them you're like uh um (laughs) 
there was... Um, okay, you know what? I can think of one other time where I was excited about the black cat and something. There was a comic book that was one of the first ones I ever bought, actually, that was written by Zeb Wells. That's all about the lizard. And there's sort of this backup oh, yeah. story in one of them where they talk... There's this moment where Spider-Man and Black Cat are, like, doing some crazy thing and, like, solving... Like, there's, like, a truck that's going off the road and they're saving it. But then there's, like, this little girl who is kidnapped that they find. And they talk about how Felicia goes from, like, this, like, flirty, sexy action mode into, like, protection, like, empathy child mode. Like, on a dime. Because she's so, like, used to being in that world and knows how it feels to be that person. I was like, holy shit. Like, why hasn't anybody ever cared about this character as much as (laughs) this story does? Yeah. Anyway, um... But Black Cat number one, it's uh, written by uh, Jed McKay, who's a like sort of a newcomer to Marvel Comics, um, and drawn by a guy named Travel Foreman. Um, and it's not like character-wise, it's not anything groundbreaking yet. But it's just mm-hmm. the kind of story that you can tell the writers really passionate about already. It's just mm-hmm. really well written and really creatively told. Um, it sort of establishes Black Cat and her, like, little miniature crew of her two henchmen that she's really close to, and, like, them pulling off this super, like, creative heist. Um, sort of the crux of it, basically, is that everybody knows who the Black Cat is, so she walks into this art exhibition, just, like, totally just, like, walks in in a dress or whatever, and all the security are like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck, that's the Black Cat, keep an eye on her, like, what the fuck is she doing? And while they're all distracted by her just being there like her henchmen like come Mm -hmm. in and take stuff um which i think is yeah i think it's really funny um but yeah it's like just gorgeously drawn it has this really sort of like not quite watercolor but sort of watercolor-esque coloring scheme um Mm -hmm. and they're like building this whole world of this like thieves organization in like the new york underbelly um and they're building up this story about like the person who raised felicia and like this, like, Mm -hmm. old, like, master criminal, and there's these two backup stories in that first issue that's just about him. He's called the Silver Fox, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) But um, he's just this guy in a suit with a mustache who's, like, this master cat burglar. Um, And it's just really... (laughs) Was he French? He seems French. Um, He's probably French. But I don't know, and it's just, it seems like there's really a lot of effort that's put into it. A lot of times with stories Mm -hmm. like these where it's, like, lesser-known characters from, like, not necessarily very popular or tried-and-true writers, you can tell that they're just kind of going through the motions, you know? Like, there have been Mm -hmm. a couple of other Black Cat series that have been like that, where it's just like, yeah, she's Black Cat, she's flirty and sexy, and she's got, like, a... she steals stuff, and it's, like, cool, and then you just kind of make it about that, and it's like, yeah, I guess that's kind of a story, but there's not really any reason to read it. You know how they've only started recently doing cool things with Catwoman? <laughs> that, but it's Marvel. Right, exactly. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm just really excited about it because it totally took me by surprise. Like, I like to grab the like new number ones of ongoing series whenever I can. Like, even if I don't think I'm going to like it, for precisely this reason. Because sometimes I pick it up and I'm like, holy shit. Like, like Black Cat was really good this month. Like, I'm going to yeah. try to pick that up whenever I can. Um yeah, so Black Cat number one by Jed McKay and Travel Foreman. 
it's just it feels like a, just a lot more heartfelt than other iterations of the character, and that's why I really liked it. Um, hey, Annaline, do you want to hear a one-star review of the Lego Movie? I do. <laughs> I just don't understand like the taste of this person. They said, yeah. I can't believe the kids I'm babysitting made me watch this when Sky High was an option. It's like, what kind of person doesn't like the Lego movie but likes Sky High? Like, how is that an okay. option? I like <laughs> Sky High, but that's because it's a dorky movie right. from when I was a kid. There's, like, this whole, like, group of people who, like, un- like unapologetically like Sky High. Right. It's like the Harry Potter people. It's like that's their personality. Right. Is that they're like, oh, I like Sky High. <laughs> it's the best movie that's ever been made. Uh, hey, Adeline, do you want to hear a five-star review of the Lego movie? I do. All right. This Letterboxd user named Berta with a sunflower emoji uh, gives the Lego movie okay. five stars and says, Lord Business is a Virgo. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Lord Business is a Virgo. Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> Best movie. What do you think? What are like the? What are the? What's the word? What are the characteristics of a Virgo? Uh, is, are Virgos the shitty really ones? Really big legs. Um, blocky <laughs> haircut. Republican. <laughs> Republican. Is, is Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell? I wonder if Will Ferrell's a Virgo. Anyway, this has been no nerds allowed. <laughs> That's Jackson, I'm Adeline. There are no nerds allowed. Oh yeah, I didn't remember how he did it. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> you, would this would this have been funnier if it was five stars or one star? Yeah. <laughs> are you a Virgo? What are you? Me? Yeah. I'm a cancer. No. Virgo, more like Virgo. I, I'm a cancer, that means I cry a lot. And I only cry. Oh, also, by the way, I'm going to get a clean cut of this so I can edit this joke in. Are you ready? <clears throat> Great. Virgo, more like Virgo. Like virgin. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. Hopefully the music is already played out. <laughs>